Last week, I highlighted how North Korea has occasionally continued to act as if the 1950 to 53 Korean War was not yet over. This week, we'll be stressing how the promise of the 1953 armistice has still yet to be fulfilled. An armistice is often thought to bring peace. The Korean armistice has yet to do so. In 1953, long before the arrival of the internet, the world saw the signing of that armistice only through short newsreels in cinemas. Seeing their historical value, one of the newsreel companies, Pathé, has made many of their old newsreels available on their website. Here's what Pathé was reporting about the signing of the Korean armistice at the Troost village of Panmunjom on July the 27th, 1953. Pathé News cameramen record the last vital moments of the Korean War as a convoy of army vehicles brings United Nations officers to the truce site at Panmunjom for the signing of the armistice. Within the camp stands a communist-built peace pagoda, the actual place where the truce is to be signed. Guard is kept on the building where green-topped tables have been set out for the delegates. Now a helicopter touches down, bringing the United Nations leading negotiator, General William Harrison. Escorted by other UN officers, General Harrison passes a guard mounted by men representing the different countries who fought the Reds. Now the chief communist delegate, General Namil, enters the peace pagoda. Within the truce building, the delegates watch Namil walk to the table, placed at some distance from his opposite number. From the other side, General Harrison enters. But neither of the two leading negotiators make any sign of greeting. The scene is set. The formalities remain. A set of documents is signed by General Harrison. The red delegates watch their representative put his signature to the treaty. The armistice is signed, and cameras record the moment of history. Cameras flash again at the base camp at Munsan as General Clark, the United Nations commander, countersigns similar documents. The Reds were reluctant that Clark and their chief commander should meet at Panmunjom. So this is the final compromise. Now that peace has come to Korea, the Chinese puzzle faces America and Great Britain. I like that ending. Now that peace has come to Korea, the Chinese puzzle faces America and Great Britain. Peace hadn't come to Korea. It still hasn't. Heavily armed North and South Korean armies still confront each other at a distance of 2.5 miles along the 155-mile length of the Korean demilitarized zone. Tension had been reduced, but that is all. Already, the Western powers were focusing more on China. China had intervened in Korea, and it had almost succeeded. In 1953, there were still a million Chinese troops defending North Korea, but there were only then 200,000 North Korean troops left. China had saved North Korea. It had insisted to North Korea that there should be an armistice and that North Korea must accept it. Kim Jong Il, the future communist ruler and eternal president of North Korea, wanted to carry on fighting. China was able to overrule him. Already, the question was: How will China use its influence in future? Sixty years on, the Chinese-Korean puzzle remains a puzzle. It's still not clear if Beijing approves or disapproves of North Korea's frequent bouts of bellicosity. Back to the 1953 signing ceremony. 
The communist-built peace pagoda nearly brought about the cancellation of the whole ceremony. A few days before the truce was to be signed, the North Koreans painted over the entrance two six-foot-high reproductions of Picasso's dove, the symbol of the global communist peace campaign at that time. This brought forth a tough response from the Americans, who told the North Koreans and the Chinese that unless the offending birds were quickly removed, the UN command would not sign the armistice and the war would go on. Probably due to Chinese pressure, the doves were quickly removed. But on another key issue, it was the Americans who had to give way. The complete separation of the two generals initially signing the truce, the total absence of any handshake, of any greeting, not even an exchange of smiles, it all exemplified the Cold War of which, of course, the Korean War was a symbol. The newsreel makes it sound as if General Mark Clark, the commander-in-chief of the United Nations Command, was the only senior commander to sign the armistice. In addition, the two chief negotiators of the truce, General Nam Il for North Korea and General William Harrison for the United Nations Command. But the supreme commander of the North Korean army, Kim Il-sung, and the commander of the Chinese People's Volunteers, Chinese General Peng Tai-wai, were also signatories. The original idea had been that Clark, Peng and Kim would face each other across a table in the Peace Pagoda and sign the truce there. But at the last minute, the communists insisted that their leaders would make the journey south from Pyongyang only on three conditions. One was that no South Korean would attend the armistice ceremony in any capacity whatsoever. Another was that no nationalist Chinese newsman would be allowed in the Panmunjom neutral zone on armistice day. The communists also demanded that only official photographs would be taken by both sides. Clark refused to accept these proposals, so that last compromise referred to in the newsreel meant that while he signed the armistice agreement at the Munsan headquarters of the United Nations Command, the 18 copies of the armistice, each in three languages, were then taken to Pyongyang to be signed there by Peng and Kim. These conditions which the communists imposed again perfectly illustrated the Cold War atmosphere of those days, as did the unfriendly attitude between Namil and Harrison. There were other ways in which the newsreel did not fully report what happened on July the 27th, 1953. The ceremony itself did not represent absolutely the last moments of the war. The signing in the Peace Pagoda took place at 10am, but the fighting continued for another 12 hours since the cessation of hostilities was set to begin at 10pm. So for another 12 hours the fighting continued. Then the guns were stilled, and the hills from sea to sea were illuminated by thousands of flares. The fighting had ended within a few miles of where it had begun over three years before. Everywhere UN command troops saw the Chinese and the North Korean soldiers looking for souvenirs between the lines. While most of the world saw the signing of the armistice as ending the Korean War, in the document itself the word war was never used.
As David Rees points out in his book, Korea, the Limited War, still one of the most insightful and comprehensive books on this period, even though it was first published in 1964. Quote, one of the most ironic aspects of the war was its status. Quite rightly, the preamble to the armistice agreement nowhere referred to a state of war as, of course, formal belligerency never existed between the major contenders in Korea. Only North Korea was ever believed to have declared war on South Korea and the Republic of Korea, that's South Korea, did not sign the truce. The million Chinese then in Korea were all there as individual volunteers. The 16 countries of the United Nations were fighting on a recommendation of the UN Security Council to repel armed attack and to restore peace and security in the area. The war had not been a war and the preamble to the armistice referred merely to stopping the Korean conflict, an ambiguous phrase which has often been invoked by Western politicians and publicists. Communist commentators usually refer to the victorious struggle of Korean liberation, unquote. South Korea did not sign the armistice because General Mark Clark signed on behalf of the United Nations Command, of which all South Korean troops were then a part. Thirdly, the curious use of language continued when the armistice cautiously suggested a solution for the war. Rees points out that, quote, for the final outcome of the fighting, paragraph 60 of the armistice envisaged a political conference meeting within three months of the armistice agreement to establish a peaceful solution of the Korean question. Only then, technically, would a state of peace come to Korea, unquote. Whether Article 60 of the Armistice Agreement, which was placed obscurely at the very end of the document, would have ever brought about any kind of settlement, has always remained in doubt. It reads, quote, In order to ensure the peaceful settlement of the Korean question, the military commanders of both sides hereby recommend to the governments of the countries concerned on both sides that within three months after the armistice agreement is signed and becomes effective, a political conference of a higher level of both sides should be held by representatives appointed respectively to settle through negotiation the question of the withdrawal of all foreign forces from Korea and the peaceful settlement of the Korean question, etc. For a while, an effort was made to try and meet this complicated obligation, though the three months passed without anything being achieved. Eventually, the promised political conference took place in Geneva in Switzerland in April 1954. It never ended the inevitable Cold War impasse. South Korea and its allies sought pan-Korean elections organised and run by the United Nations. North Korea and China, inevitably, sought an election arrangement which would have given the communists the right of veto. Since by June 15th, 1954, no understanding between the two sides was reached, the armistice agreement remained in force and the responsibility for uniting Korea reverted to the United Nations where it has rested since 1947. The 1954 Geneva Conference is remembered for what it accomplished regarding Vietnam. 
As Davis Reese prophetically predicted way back in 1964, there seems no prospect of Korea being reunited in the foreseeable future as long as the Cold War goes on and probably even afterwards, Korea, the land of the morning calm, will remain divided. South Korea seeks to sustain its democracy. North Korea seeks to sustain the Kim dynastic dictatorship. Neither can give way to the other. Yet there is only one acceptable political solution for the Korean people. That is reunification. The dubious advantage of the Korean War was that four attempts were made to attain this goal. All of them failed. First, there was the North Korean attempt to unify through its aggression against South Korea in June 1950. Following the intervention of the United States and its allies, it was halted at the Pusan beachhead. Secondly, there was the American attempt to unify Korea through its counter-offensive following the landing at Incheon in September 1950 and its invasion of North Korea supported by United Nations resolutions. Thirdly, there was the Chinese attempt to unify Korea through the counter-offensive mounted by the Chinese People's Volunteers, which cleared North Korea and was only halted and pushed back after it had briefly retaken the southern capital of Seoul. Fourth, there was the desperate South Korean threat to send its forces northwards to unify Korea made by South Korean President Sigmund Rhee in the weeks before the signing of the armistice. This was only halted and the armistice sustained by equally desperate pressure from the Eisenhower administration threatening Rhee with an end to aid and no mutual US-South Korea defense treaty. The Americans also told the communists that United Nations forces would not support South Korean forces if they invaded the North. Meanwhile, Eisenhower had already used the extreme sanction of the possible use of nuclear weapons to secure China's, and therefore also North Korea's, compliance with the Korean armistice. Almost certainly... It was this experience which resulted in Kim Jong-il deciding then that North Korea would one day go nuclear too, which it ultimately did 51 years later. 62 years after the Korean armistice was signed, the Korean Cold War continues, but the dream of Korean unity endures.